Hello and welcome to a new episode of SIS Masters podcast. I'm Arnaud Rijard, founder of Sports Innovation Society, and I interview for you some of the best experts in the sports industry. Today I welcome Benny Bonsu, award-winning industry leader and inspiring director of daily content at the International Olympic Committee. We will speak about a very unique journey from Ghana to the IOC and what our mission is, both personally and within the IOC. Hello, Benny. How are you today in Madrid, beautiful Madrid? I am doing good. Um, we've had a really hot summer. Today's a public holiday. It's cool. It's calm. It's quiet, which is always a good thing for me. Fantastic. As a start, we'd love, uh, we always like to understand a bit more about our guest, and I'm very happy to have you today. Uh, Benny Bonsu, girl from Accra, from Ghana, raised in Tottenham. So tell me a bit about yourself before we go to your professional journey. Um, yes, I was born and raised in Ghana. Um, I I loved growing up in Ghana. Um, moved over to the UK at the age of 11 because um, my mother was in the UK training in the medical field. Um, so I joined my mom at the age of 11. Didn't speak a word of English. Okay. Um, but with my mom being African, um, just like most African families, she had two, three jobs. So for her to keep me safe, she put me into sports. Um, and in being involved in sports for a very young age, I tell everybody I meet, I learned how to speak in English, not in school. I learned how to speak English during my sports practice. I used to do a lot of athletics, a lot of football. So I've grown up with sports in my DNA. That's all I've always done. The school I went to, sports was part of it. Um, And I loved every part of it. Growing up in Tottenham, a very multicultural, diverse community. Everybody knows everybody, you know. Um, and I went to a Catholic school in the middle of Tottenham. Um, okay. Sports is just part of our, our DNA in Tottenham. We love sports. And um, for me, the community I grew up in was very fun. Again, you know, I did sports physically. I didn't have the vision of working in sports in future. Um, went on, you know, growing up, I wanted to be an air hostess. <laughs> I wanted to be an air hostess. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> and then growing up, doing a lot of sports, then I wanted to be a youth worker. Then I became a teacher. You know, I went to university, trained to become a, a high school teacher, which I did very well um, for many years. Um, but during my journey in training in education, um, I was still involved in sports. I was writing about sports. I was attending every basketball game, football game, name it, I was there. We even worked with Tottenham Football Club as one of their community coaches and Arsenal Football Club, um, developing their after-school programs for them around London. And obviously then we, we did a big program called the Kicks program that became a national program for the FA, um, sorry, the Premier League. So it was a, it was a, big, it was a big deal. But um, in my early 20s, um, I had attended an NBA game at the O2 Arena And a producer in the stand had seen me arguing with the players about the game and how, you know, how terrible they were. Um, if you didn't know me, you'd think I was their coach. How so did you get access to the players? <laughs> I was, well, because my brother was an NBA. You know, my brother played in the NBA. Um, okay. So I'm over there and I'm telling them how terrible they were. And the <laughs> producer was watching me from the stand. So at the end of the conversation, as we were walking off laughing, he called me and said, Benny, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. It's like, have you ever thought about going into the media? And I was like, me? No, can't stand the media. <laughs> and he's like, I think you'd be great. And I said, oh, no, this is not for me. Um, but he's like, no, come to the BBC. Let's, let's try you out. 
think you'll be great. And that's where the journey started for me. You know, I went up to Salford to the BBC sports team. Um, they put me on BBC World Service, radio, you know, sports today. Um, and I had a voice for radio. So I ended up at the BBC for quite, quite a while, actually, for maybe three, four years um, doing that, producing and presenting. Um, and then from there, you know, MBA picked it up. So I started doing the stuff at the MBA in Europe. Um, and across Africa, um, and then BT Sports became the face of BT Sports for MBA, and then I went over to Sky to become the face of um, MBA for Sky, and then beyond that, um, joined Eddie Cuddy and the former Premier League player Fabrice Mwamba to host our first Premier League show for Africa um, with Aurora Media, which we did, I think, two seasons of. So that's where it all started for me, um, but I knew for me, you know, being in front of the camera wasn't always what I wanted to do. I always loved the business of sports. I always wanted to be in the background. Like I mentioned, you know, one of my brothers who got scholarships to go to the States at a very young age ended up playing in the NBA. And I was always in the background, you know, doing the deals for him, for the sponsorship deals, you know, who wants to work with him, who wants to work with these athletes. So I've always been in the background kind of advising them as well as being in front of the camera. But I knew my passion wasn't front of camera, it was always the business of sports. Um, so when the opportunity came for me to then apply um, for Give Me Sports um, to become the first sports woman editor in the UK, I took it. I didn't know I was going to get it, but I did and became the first um, female sports editor in the UK to lead the fight for the coverage of women's sports in the UK, um, which we started five years ago. And now it feels like everybody else. It's on the bandwagon of women's sports, but we yeah. initially started that at Give Me Sports, starting a fight. I guess that's where through that, that's where I met you um, yeah. with the um, Adidas Accelerator Program. But my passion for sports started from the age of 11, um, coming from Africa, not knowing anything, because in Africa, sports is not part of the conversation when it comes to girls in the future. It's, mm -hmm. You know, you get, you grow up, you become a lawyer, become a doctor, you get married, you have kids, you stay home. And then change of culture and coming to the UK and actually my mom, not knowing, you know, put me into sports because she felt that I was a babysitting service for her, not knowing that that was actually going to be my future. Um, so for me, I'm passionate about the, the, the business of sports, I'm passionate about the growth of sports, but also really um, passionate about what that looks like on the continent years from now. Yeah. And it's, um, it's amazing because it's been so quick. Everything you've done it quick. I mean, 11 years old, you go to UK, then you teach, then you scouted, I would say, but someone who detected your talent uh, on the media side and your media potential. And then it seems, well, not then, but it seems you've always been on a mission. Uh, yeah. is, is, that, is that correct? Because you've been on a mission through education and sport, then empowering and developing the content around women's sport. It seems you've always been on a mission. Yeah, it, it, it has had to be a mission for me. Um, and it sounds like a broken record, but it's the reality of it. You know, as a woman of color within the, in this space, the opportunities didn't always come just like that. Everything I had, I've had to fight. And when I mean fight, not physically fighting, but it's ensuring that I was the best in every room that I went into, but also making sure and I understood what I was doing. You know, like I said to you, I was teaching. I would teach from 8 to 5 p.m. at night. And then by 7, 8 o'clock, I'm in a studio 
in front of the camera. And I did that for many years, you know, and it, it, you know, for the first couple of years, it was just the mission was to educate because I knew what sports did for me when I was growing up. And I understood the importance of that for the youth. You know, what can I use to get the kids off the street and in the classroom to learn? And sports was always the angle for me to get them to learn. And then having the opportunity to then be in front of the camera, the kids had that extra excuse of why they wanted to go to school because their teacher was the one on the 10 o'clock news. Their teacher was the one that was presenting the NBA show, you know, so they would come to school with their parents. It's like, you know, they would say to their mom, I told you that's Miss Bonsu. That's the woman we saw on the TV last night. So all of, all of a sudden I had the attention of the young, these are young, diverse young people. And when I talk about these are the hardest young people in London to get into school. And I realized that my mission, one, was to use kind of the profile I have to really help with this in education form, but also on the personal level and the journey of this, you know, going into the sports industry, I had been given this opportunity. You know, the guy that scouted me was Chris Mitchell, who was a sports presenter at the BBC. And I wasn't going to waste that opportunity because I understood what sports has done for me. But I also understood the power of being a woman of color at the time in sports, one of maybe two or three that were in the UK that were on screen that was from Tottenham. There wasn't anybody from Tottenham that was doing that. Um, and I understood the impact it had for my community, not just in the Ghanaian community, but also my community of Tottenham in London. Um, and I knew that if I could have this vision, I've always had it. You know, I looked at myself as a girl coming from Ghana, like I said to you, sports is not part of our culture. Mm. And all of a sudden I was doing it. And all I could think about is, if I could learn as much as possible, I could go back to Africa one day and really build that infrastructure for sports for people to understand the power it has, not just only for us as individuals, but for the economy itself, for the growth of the economy, but also to look at sports around the world. If you look at football, you look at basketball, you look at rugby, you look at all these big sports, the African athletes are playing in there. If we had a great structure back home, would they have to travel? You know, would they do great leagues in Africa that they won't participate in? But I also understood that the reason why we don't have the infrastructure is because we don't have the knowledge. And if anybody's going to learn it, why not me? So my mission has always been to learn. Um, and for me, learning, you know, like you saw me doing this, the work with Give Me Sports, mm. you know, I was fighting, I was trying to get women's sports in the forefront of, of the media and getting BBC, Sky Sports, the Daily Mirror to cover the Women's World Cup. You know, and when they even did that, I was like, I hope you guys are not just doing it for the World Cup 2020, um, 2019 and forgetting about women's sports, because if you're, you're not in women's sports right now, you've missed out. And, you know, I'm glad to see that years later, the conversation is still going on, but the conversation hasn't even started in places like Africa or in Asia. You know, how do we get those, that part of the world to also be involved in it? So for me, it's, um, it's not an opportunity that I take lightly. Um, because it's a mission and I haven't finished my mission yet. My mission is to build um, yeah. everywhere else. Um, I haven't finished it yet. It's just a start. Yeah, and when you speak about Africa, uh, we can't forget that at the end of this century, it's going to be 50% of the world population. <laughs> uh, Literally. And uh, we have uh, the youngest continent. Youngest continent, democratic, demographic growth. I think it's 600 million people in cities, yeah. new yeah. people in cities coming. I mean, and the power of sport too in the economy and the social life is just fantastic. So you've been on a mission on teaching. You've been on a mission to develop sports 
uh, women, well, women's sports coverage. No, you do a lot more. And after we go back to, we go to what you do now. Uh, but you're also on a mission to help and support. On what I understood, you've developed a lot of initiatives uh, to concretely support and not just be a voice. Yeah, I have. It's, um, for me, it's important. Um, when I was in the UK, as well as teaching, I was involved with the Princess Trust, which is owned by Prince Charles. So we did a Princess Trust program, for example. Um, the team program, the idea is like every 12 weeks, I would get 12 young people. Um, some have just come out of prison. Some are, you know, out of education. Some are homeless young people. These are aged between 16 to 18. And I had 12 weeks to work with these young people to turn their lives around, you know, get them back into education or in business. Um, and again, always sports, you know, always start from what I love most. You know, I love football. You know, let's talk about football. If you had the opportunity to own a football team, what would you do with it? What does that look like as a business for you? And that's how I was engaging those young people. And I absolutely loved it. You know, the Kicks program, for example, was a huge program, but it started really small. And the reason why we started the Kicks program was because at that time in Tottenham, we had such a high rate of crime you know, stabbings of young people on the streets. Um, this is like black on black crime in that area. And as at that time I was in my age, you know, I was 18, 19 years old and my younger brother who's now passed away, we were thinking of ways of how we can get the young people off the streets and to do something positive. So we started a leaders and training program, which then turned into the kicks program. And the idea was after school, kids go to school from eight to 5.30, what can we do to keep them off the streets? And we came up with a leaders and training program, which is a safe area where the young people can come. They'll be coached by local coaches, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whether it's athletics. They'll do one hour of coaching. They'll do half an hour of sit down and have a conversation of issues and things that are going on in the community. And then every once a month, we'll get players from Tottenham or Arsenal that will come and visit these young people to share their experiences of how sports has changed their life, but also why education plays such a huge role in it. Now, we ran that program the first year. It was really well. The crime rate in Tottenham dropped. The Met Police really believed in it. They invested in it. And then slowly and surely, Tottenham picked it up. Arsenal picked it up. Then Chelsea did it. Then it went nationwide. Um, and it's because, you know, young people, we talk about young people sometimes as in, you know, the, you know Gen Z generation, you know, they want things, they want things now. But also young people care about the communities they come from. You know, they care about things like sports. You know, young people care about experiences. They don't care about the big flashy things. And what we realized that the experience we were giving them, which was having the opportunity to meet their idols in sports, for that 30 minutes, they had the opportunity to speak to them, change their whole perspective on how they wanted to see their future. Um, so for mm -hmm. me, having the opportunity to create those programs and give those young people that opportunity has always been a passion. You know, I did it. When I was at university, I'd travel to the United States and work with young people that have come out of prison. You know, we take them for six weeks and put them in a camp in New Jersey and we work with them for six weeks and then check on them a year later. For me, it's always been a passion. Education and sports has always been a passion. It's not something I take lightly. Um, I also think it's a way of really engaging the young people that we have now in any kind of topic that we want to talk to them about. Um, it is important. And I think that's the power of sports that sometimes we forget that we have as industry leaders within this, um, within the sports world. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, <laughs> but now you are at the IOC, 
bigger sports organization, I would say, uh, with a potential of impact that is massive. Not only every four years, uh, we're going to speak about daily content, but how does it match your drive to impact and make a difference? I think it matches perfectly. Um, it didn't make any sense for me to join any other organization to create the impacts in which I'm passionate about. Um, looking at the Olympics as a young girl in Tottenham, you know, how do you even get to the Olympics from Tottenham? Like, what is that? <laughs> um, seeing my brother being part of the London 2012 Olympics, you know, competing for Team GB. And he was on screen and he screamed, you know, mom, I'm on TV, you know, the usual things I do too. And at that time I was working for London 2012 Olympics. I was actually um, the sports operations and policies um, manager at London 2012 at the time. Um, and I never, you know, I've always dreamt of working for the IOC, but never didn't know how to get there. Anyway, years later, I'm here. Um, and the work the Olympics and the impact the Olympics has is huge. And the passion I have for young people, the passion I have for education, but also the other passion I have is, is telling stories, the story, the real stories and the journeys of athletes. You know, these athletes were like me, some of them, especially the ones from Africa, the ones from, you know, um, urban areas in London where I've grown up, where going to the Olympics wasn't, it wasn't an option. How do you get to the Olympics? We've, we can only dream about it. We can only see on TV. Um, and for me to be here, was, it's a big deal for me personally, based on the mission that I'm going on, that I want to do for the continent one day. But most importantly, it's also very important um, for the diverse communities because for them, the IOC is a place that you don't see people like Benny there. You know, so you can imagine when it was first announced that I was going to be joining, everybody was like, you know what this means, right? You got to represent us and you've got to show, all of a sudden you have this unexpected additional pressure so forget about the pressure of the job <laughs> it's the pressure of representation for your community but also for all those young people and you know what was really touching is that when i i started here uh, my first three months it was the black history it was black history month in october and um a group of young people from Baddy sports in london it's a youth organization they had done you know they tell the young people to do a presentation on who inspires you and a group of girls took a picture of me. They blew up a picture and they wrote, Benny Bonsi is the first black person we've ever seen at the International Olympic Committee that we can relate to. And they put it on your, on your hallway in your school. So they took the picture and the presentation they sent to me. And all, all of a sudden, I just felt that, wow, this is the reason why I'm here. But most importantly, I have this additional one pressure um, of ensuring that the stories I tell, the people I appeal to, um, but also what I represent, it's really important. It's not just about me. It's about those young people in London, in Tottenham, but also in Ghana, but most importantly in Africa. You know, I remember doing my first um, Beijing Winter Games and they had a delegation from Africa um, come to visit us and see how it all works. Um, they walked into the room and Yanis, our CEO, introduced me and my, my editor-in-chief, Mary, um, to the group delegation from Africa and you could see all their faces. They were just shocked to see that I was there, first of all. And then they were shocked to realize that I was a Ghanaian. So all of a sudden, all the women in the group were like my aunties. I've adopted a new group of aunties in Beijing that were just like, just proud, just to see, um, just to see me there. But also to know that, you know, I'm part of the generation that they sent, to, you know, they sent to the West to learn. 
that they can learn from in years to come. And that's, that's really powerful for me. Okay. So perfect match. Uh, again, you're on a mission. <laughs> uh, so now you're director of daily content at the IOC for Olympics.com and Olympic Channel. Uh, before detailing what it means being a director of daily content, <laughs> uh, can you tell us more about Olympic Channel and Olympics.com for people to picture and dimension and realize what, what it is in terms of reach uh, and so on? So the Olympic Olympics.com and Olympics Channel is a multi-platform website that gives you everything from your daily news to mini-series, to feature films, to documentaries, um, covering all the sports, not just one, but all Olympic sports globally, but whilst also sharing the stories of all athletes, not just the ones that made it to the Olympics that are Olympians already, but the ones coming up, the grassroots programs, you know, the stories from the most remote parts of the world that you've never heard of, but with the ambition to get to the Olympics is being able to cover all those stories and represent every single color of those rings that you see as part of the five Olympic rings. So that's, yeah, that's how big it is. That's the magnitude of what olympics.com and Olympics channel is. So it's from editorial to news, to film, to documentaries, to series, to extended features um, on individuals that are inspiring and impactful. And events as well. And events, of course. Yeah. Many events. All events. And in such an organization that, I mean, it's massive because, of course, you've got the Olympic Games every four years when it comes to summers and winter games. Uh, but the, the big challenge is to engage youth daily, <laughs> which are why you're here, uh, uh, because that's a big challenge for them to understand the Olympics and to be inspired and wish to practice sports. Uh, so what is your role as a director of daily content? What, what does it mean? My role as a director of daily content is ma making sure I have my pause on everything that's happening around the world when it comes to sports, but also, you know, future stars of the sports. Um, that involves an understanding the data of what our content is doing in different parts of the world, but also looking at priority markets. What is our priority market? Who is consuming the content we're producing on a daily basis? How much are they consuming? How much are they consuming it on our website, on their phones, on their tablets, but also across our different social media platforms? Um, and then also understanding the storytelling of these um people from the different parts of the world. So if you have somebody from Asia, what sports is important in Asia? Why did they follow it? What is the stories that we're missing? Um, but it's also involved working with a massive group of my team is massive um, from different parts of the world and to ensure that they also have their pause on the pop stories that are, you know, lighten up that we may have missed. Um, but a big, big part of my role is understanding all of that, you know, from Africa to Asia to Europe, to the most remote part of the world, understanding what's happening and making sure we are the face and the voices of the athletes, the ones that are already Olympians, the ones that are training to become Olympians, the ones that want to future become Olympians, and the ones that are the grassroots, the ones that make the Olympians, you know, to ensure that we have the right stories and highlighting those right stories during games time and also out of games time as well. Because games time, It's amplified. We have all the athletes there that we can focus on and pick the stories because we know what's working through the data. But out of games time, we become just like every newsroom where we attending those events, 
we're on the pause of every story by ensuring that, you know, we are not, um, I always say to my team, we are not the team that's out there that's going to speculate and make up things. Our job is to ensure we're telling the real stories of those individuals. So out of games time, we're spending time and building the relationship with those athletes, whether they're at the top or they're starting at the beginning of their journey to make sure we understand them and we tell the story the right way for every single person that we cover. So mm. it's not an easy job. No, no, it's not because, I mean, global population is big. <laughs> Stories <laughs> in a lot of countries. How do you prioritize? How do you define what is going to be relevant? I understand there may be some market filters because you want to be about speak about stories in market. Yeah. I suppose diversity is also important to have both women and men. Uh, power sports, I would suppose as well. But how do you how do you give priorities? Because uh, the scope is gigantic. It's tough and it's huge. Um, I have a great team, um, SEO um, Lucas. I work with, and you know we are, Try to understand the data first before we move. Understanding the data we have, selecting a priority market, the languages. You know, we cover 12 languages um, on olympics.com. Um, but we start from the data. We look at what the raw data is telling us. Who's consuming our content? And then look at what they're consuming. And we do more of that. We also then look at the ones that, you know, who's not consuming our content and why they're not consuming it. Are there topics or are there stories that we've missed? Is there something that we're doing that doesn't engage that audience? And then trying to figure out and come up with, you know, not, not, not even figure out, coming up with solutions of how we can engage those audiences. So a lot of my time is spent literally sitting down looking at numbers as well as keeping, a, you know, keeping an ear and pause on what are the topics that have been discussed in the different parts of the world and why we're not part of it. As you know, as the Olympics, we know we we are balanced and we, we don't take sides on what happens here and there. So it's ensuring that our pause is on the right topics and the right subject, but understand, you know, what might work in Nigeria, Ghanaians may have no interest. What might work in the United States, the UK might have no interest, but what do UK have interest in? So for example, um, during the Winter Games, UK, when it came to curling, amazing. The engagement in curling was out of this world, because that's what he liked. So what are the stories in curling that we need to amplify? We also realized very quickly that in Italy, curling was a big thing. You know, what are we going to talk about in Italy and curling? Whilst the tradition of curling started in Scotland, you know, and majority of the British team are from Scotland. So it's understanding and going into understanding what is not working and the solutions to, to, to fix that. And the data allows us to do that. But also, what if something is working like in the United States, for example, Figure skating is a huge audience in the United States. Gymnastics is a huge audience in the United States, but we don't get comfortable. Just because we have a popular audience there and they always come and check, it doesn't mean that we should sit back and do nothing. What else can we do to sustain that audience, but also to grow it? You know, what are the other stories? What are the events that we can do? How do we embed ourselves within those sporting communities so we become part of them and ensure that we're telling the right stories? So for, for me, understanding data, looking at the numbers, understanding the priority markets, what works, what doesn't work, but working with the team. My team, you know, we have teams in Japan, we have teams in Africa, teams in Europe and the States that were able to tell me on a weekly basis or call, look, Benny, this is what's happening in the States and this was, you know, this is what you're talking about. We haven't done any stories about this. Let's look to do that. 
let's look at the data. Does that support what you're saying? If it supports, let's go for it. If it's not, why not? Let's investigate and make it better. Mm. Is there a priority target in terms of ages? There isn't, but it's always for us, you know, the next generation of audiences for the Olympics is the younger generation. I love the Olympics, right? But I'm not a Gen Z generation. How do we engage them? But also how do you still keep me entertained? Um, so there's a lot of work that's gone into working um, to engage the, the, the younger audiences, especially with the growth of social media platforms. How do we use those platforms to engage them? So we're doing a lot um, across social, you know, digital platforms, but also doing a lot to sustain audiences like me and the people above me as well. Okay. 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 And what have you found has been the most, you've been there for two a bit more than two years now. Uh, what do you think have been the biggest challenge? Oh. Two Olympic games back to back. That's been, that's been a challenge. Um, but also the world changes. The world changes like that. It feels like it's changing very quickly. So what you think works today, tomorrow is out the window. Um, I think the biggest challenge for us is, again, for me personally, is us and understanding people and the, the audiences and how it changes just like that. Um, but it's a beautiful challenge to have because you see how humans evolve. You know, I feel like when I was growing up, we didn't change this quick. And, you know, it just felt like, okay, we have a flip phone. That's it. This is really cool. And for the next 10 years, nothing moves. Whilst we're now in 2022, you know, we have iPhones that can shoot films like a, a real movie uh, whilst young people from watching a 10 minute clip that used to entertain me that same 10 minute clip my little niece would watch 10 seconds of you and be bored you know <laughs> how do we you know that challenge is beautiful for me because it allows you to be innovative and creative of what you do with content as you go forward there's a quote from i don't know if you know that one from albert einstein who says creativity is intelligence having fun yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's true. And you know, when you, you say to me, you're on a mission, that's that's part of the mission, the mission of understanding and being innovative. You know, I, I recently did a, an IOC program where we had all these leaders from different parts, different uh, the young leaders. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Um, no, not the young leaders. It was the um, innovation um, program with um, IMD. Uh, okay. um, and it had people from the FA, FIFA, all of us together. And we're talking about innovation and you go, what is innovation? You know, innovation is every single day when I go into the office, when something has changed and it forces you to think out of the box. And that's, that's the challenge I have. It's not a challenge that I shy from. It's a challenge that I love because it, it challenges you to do more. You know, we have Paris coming up. How do you cover the Paris games? Because there's going to be the most diverse, most engaging, most digitally savvy Olympic games you're ever going to experience. How do we engage those audiences? You know, and you sit there and you scratch your head. And what I think is cool in the office, I come home and I'm telling my nieces and nephews, I'm like, no, Benny, I don't like that. I'm bored. And you're just like, well, an hour ago, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> you know, and you're like, no, that's, that's so boring. Think of it this way. Um, so for me, innovation and being innovative in this current era is, is amazing for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh what would you say you've been the most proud of in the, maybe in pieces of content in the last in the last two years? Oh, um, oh, that's a good one. 
maybe maybe you would be surprised by something you would not expect go boom uh, would be a success and he has been i don't know what what surprised you and what are, what are you very proud of i think what i'm proud of is the growth of olympics.com um olympics.com is not necessarily in competition with all the other platform espn bbc we're not in competition with any of them because we're not a breaking news environment but also the growth of it over the last certainly since I've joined is bringing the organization to just understand the impact of SEO for example right how we do that effectively um and be relevant amongst all the big names around the world um so the growth of our olympics.com and how people engage with our content on the site but also we you know as part of the five rings film we just now dropped um uh the redeem team um <laughs> our first piece of content for for Netflix um and then sitting back you know and this was led by uh, Mark Parkman um who has now left um Yanis our editor in chief Mary Bryan she's amazing by the way one of the most intelligent women I've ever worked with um and uh, one of our producers Greg Grogel and also um Jonathan Taylor um and sitting back you know it's from from the rollout of the promotional parts the launch of it um the engagement from the athletes but also then seeing it go onto Netflix and seeing the real time reaction of people across the different social media platform has been wonderful you know it's, i didn't expect it because it's, yeah. it's our first Let, you know? let's take that example because OBS led by Yanis Exarchos um traditionally as produced live events no no you guys become content producer invert in, in a lot of outside of life in a lot of different formats yeah. and it's very interesting because it seems you you've opened up to a lot of partnerships Elton John's Rocket Sports uh, Netflix and when it comes to the reading team if i'm correct it's co-produced by LeBron James and Wayne Wade yes Uh so you've opened up to a lot and it's crazy this world of content because you see Kylian Mbappé with the NBA producing content and LeBron James producing content and it's uh the athletes are getting involved inside and not only engaged but involved as a business so this is not a good question what i say but uh, i'm very surprised by those by those trends that everything comes together to produce things using the best channels such as netflix or amazon prime or or others how has been this process for you to open up to partnerships to tell the best stories see the the thing is olympics.com has always done it you know we did a series of rocket sports with sir elton john for from the top series um we've done many series where we've partnered with people to do it um but on olympics.com never on other platforms this is the first for netflix and i think it's it's a good thing to do because as we grow and as times change and audience changes you've got to tap into audiences at different in different places not just olympics.com because people that love olympics will find olympics.com people that are not so engaging with olympics only watch it during game time may watch that Redeem team on Netflix and want to find out more about those players in Redeem team and go to olympics.com to read their bios or stories about them or short series about them because we have more there. I think it's a smart move. I think it's a great move and I think to grow and to be innovative but also to be open and engaging with your audiences is being able to look at platforms that you know kind of 
meet with the same qualities that you have and the values you have and seeing how you can come together to do something like we've done with Redeem Team. I mean, having Dwayne Wade and LeBron co-produce is, is massive, you know, and then to see them engage on social media with it out of this world, all of a sudden you're going to have some LeBron and D-Wade fans that have nothing to do with the Olympics want to find out more about the Olympics or when is the next Olympics? Is it in Paris? Is D-Wade going to be playing? No, he's retired. Oh, is LeBron going to be playing? Maybe. If LeBron is, LeBron is playing, we want to know more. Um, so I think it's smart. Um, I'm really excited to see on Netflix. I want to see what it does. It'll be interesting to see the numbers when they release it. Because, you know, today um, Netflix announced that they're going to start sharing their numbers, which is a great thing. So it'll be good to see how it's done it. But to see the reaction around the world, not just in Europe, about how people took the redeemed team, especially off the back of the last dance, which was a huge um, drop for everybody during the lockdown. So another basketball documentary, you're not expecting it to be, you know, to be at that caliber. And then it just rockets out of this world. And you're thinking, what's the next project we can work on? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what can we be your sense that? <laughs> <laughs> what can we do next? What can we do next? Um, but <laughs> it's great to have all that, you know, archive footage then to turn into something that comes out like that. Um, you know, I look at my team all the time. I go, man, this is amazing. This is great. Um, it's just, it's oh, out yeah. of this world. This content is fantastic. It's a celebration to the Olympics. So looking at these amazing NBA stars yeah. wishing uh, to win the ultimate victory, the ultimate victory being the gold medal at the Olympics, something yeah. you would eventually not expect from them. Yeah. And they just commit for three years to do it. And the Spanish chief was amazing. No great. Yeah. No, no great. Let's not, let's not forget, you know, Paul Gasol was in there as well. Carmela Anthony, Chris Paul, Chris Bosch. Like, the list, you know, Michael Red, all of them. Carlos Bosch, like, all of them were involved. And you don't normally get all of them to sit down to have a conversation. You might get one, but yeah. all of them, um, yeah. it's out of this world. And it, it, it opens the door for, you know, conversations about, future, you know, future stars, current stars, what are the stories that are left on the table that we can pick up and, t and tell? Hmm. You know? I know you work on the, more on the editorial side, but on the business side, Olympics, uh, Olympics.com and Olympic Channel, it's a, it's a massive investment that has been done. I've read articles saying that it's been profitable from the start. Um, but when you work, for example, with Netflix, Uh, and again, you stop me if you can't speak about that. Um, so that wouldn't be a problem. But what is the business model? Because I perfectly understand uh, the Olympics equity uh, purpose of it, because it it brings so high the values of the Olympics and uh, and the story is so fantastic. But when it comes to business, it's not a traditional business model. Uh, how do you manage uh, that? I see. I can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a question for Yanis. Yanis and, um, and our TMS team um, to talk about. Um, yeah, I can't touch on that, if that's okay. Is that very much okay? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's very much so. Uh, we speak, we're going to speak with our friend Yanis on the next talk. <laughs> that's cool. No, very much okay. Uh, so you, you've been doing that for two years and a half. As you said, one of the biggest challenge is to understand what's going on because it's always always new things happening and new consumption behavior uh, when it comes to sport. How do, 
how do you see your efforts in producing content in the next in the next few months or coming years? What kind of for formats do you think will be engaging? Uh, where, where, is, where is going the future of content? I think as we move forward for the next couple of months, you know, we're building up to Gangwon. We have the um, Youth Winter um, Olympic Games coming up. Um, and then after Gangwon, we have Paris um, 24. Yeah. Um, for us, short form, everybody like everybody on short form works um, across the digital social platforms. But also, but if it works on social platforms, it leaves the audiences wanting more and wanting to go into a space where they can get more. Um, you know, the likes of Netflix, Hulu, Amazon is great, but it's a subscription site. Whereas Olympics.com, you get you get there, the content is there free for you to, to look at. I think the most you probably have to do is maybe sign up, you know, so you, you have a, a membership, so you get, you know, it gets personalized to your interest and you can get a content. Um, I think for us, what we're doing is working. We can do more and what we'll do more of is making sure we're getting those unique stories, more of that. Um, and making sure that they engage, engage into one our younger audiences, our Gen Z audiences, but also audiences like me and above. We understand the data that we get from our social platforms, also the data we get from our platform to really get the learning so we get it right. Um, so for us, the next couple of months is the athlete journey stories, you know, road to Gang One, road to Paris. It's even from now, understanding who's going to be the big name in Paris. What are they doing now? How are we following them from now? Not one month to Paris. We're going to, we're starting the journey. We started it in the summer um, where we're following those athletes. You know, we do our big SEO search where we get, a, we get a data on who's the most searched athlete in what country and why. Why are people searching them? What are the questions people are asking about a certain athlete? So one of the athletes that, Research, for example, for France was Rudy Gobert. Everybody's crazy about Rudy Gobert. People want to know about Rudy Gobert. So, you know, we flew out to Paris over the summer. We spent some time with Rudy, did a sit-down interview with him. We're going to be following his journey from now to Paris. But also the other athlete, again, from Paris that people want to know about is Vincent. I can never say his second name. Vincent Wamiami. I, I get his name wrong. But the seven-footer who's like the new face. What people want to know about him. What does his story look like at Paris 24? So we start the journey with him as well. So for us, it's literally being part of those athletes' lives, the ones that we've identified, the big names, but also the ones that people don't know about that we know will create impact with the impactful story. You know, that, that athlete from Cape Verde who has a great story, he may not win a gold, may not win a bronze, may not win anything, but their story alone, it's going to be inspirational for everybody else. How do we follow that? And we're going out to um, Dakar, Cape Verde in the next couple of weeks to start filming those short pieces and the extended versions for the site um, so people can follow it from now till the future. So for us, for now, the building, short form, long form, being part of the athlete's journey from beginning all the way through to the end. Um, and for some, the end would be Paris 24, for some, the beginning would be Paris 24 to LA 28. Um, so it's looking at all those names and making sure we, we're doing the roadmap correctly for those athletes. I like the term roadmap because it's very complex because it's all in projection. Yeah. Uh, so you have to see through time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't just time. say, we know exactly what's going to happen. We don't know. We're going to start a roadmap with you. You tell us where you are now. 
And as the story starts, we move as you move. You just let us know where you want us to take the story. And that's how we're working with those athletes. And the athletes, how, how do you collaborate with them? Uh, because um, one question, one more specific question. During the Olympics, the athletes can't communicate uh, too much. Uh, is it something that is going to change? Or what do you think about that? I mean, for us, we because we work with the athletes way before the games, during before during games time, we already have the content we have we need from those athletes because we've collected it. Remember, part of the roadmap. Yeah. So we tend not to bother them whilst they're in competition. It's after competition is when we're able to talk to them. Um, as times go on, it would be great to see them. You know, do we saw some of it during the pandemic for them to journal their own journey whilst they're in the Olympic Village? You know the preparation, the after competition. It would be great to see more of that. Um, and fingers crossed we will see more as we go forward. But for us, um, it is important that during the time where they're there to do their magic, we allow them to do their magic. And then we touch base with them afterwards for them to give us the story. Um, but we try not to, to bother them um, because some people are waiting four years or a whole lifetime just to make it there. And once they're there, it's respectful for us to just take a step back, take as much as we can before then. So then once they're doing their magic, we have things that we can roll out for people to see and read. And then afterwards we give them the ending of that story. But during competition, we let them be. Yeah. During surveys and athletes, one of the things that we're mentioning is that Olympic athletes in non, or can I say big sports like soccer or eventually basketball, uh, one of the things that we're mentioning is that once they are qualified, everyone turns on them. And, and they are qualified very late uh, in most cases uh, yeah. for the Olympics, a few months before or a couple of months before, depending on sports. So mm -hmm. it's tremendous for them because <laughs> you got all this attention all of a sudden and you're not prepared to that, but you have to compete the best in a couple yeah. of months. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's super. It's a, it's a, it's a chicken and egg, isn't it? It's like yeah. you go through a lifetime, you're, you're struggling to even get sponsorship, and then all of a sudden you're on the world stage and everybody knows your name. Um, it's I don't know if you've been following, we have this Olympic qualifying series that we, yeah. we started um, earlier on this year, and that's part of this roadmap. You know, We're following them from the qualifying series all the way to the end. Yeah. And then when they get to the door of competing for the games, we leave them alone because they're there. Let's see what they do, and then carry on but for those athletes it's so important that we just give them that peace because we can only imagine the pressure they have on them um, to show the world what they're made of in that given moment um, and for our job is to document that whilst they're on stage and as you know after games time we then have access to the archive to to create those pieces of content that we couldn't do during um, the moment in which they needed to, to to show the world that they've been working so hard for four years to be here Cool, cool. So I can't wait, and I'm, I can't wait to so to see more of that content. Uh, and to close our conversation, because it could last a lot more. But to close of our conversation, I've got a ritual, which is a series of questions, very much inspired from Actor Studio. Um, so, are you ready for quick questions for quick answers? <laughs> I am. Let's go. <laughs> so, who's your favorite all-time athlete, and why? I would say, oh, this is a tough one. Can I say two? Yeah. Or just one? No. Um, 
For me, I would say Michael Johnson. Um, I just love his personality. He's he's never been out there. He's always just gone out there, done what he has to do, achieved a lot, but also very impact, quietly impactful and inspirational. Um, and I'm never going to forget him in his golden shoes running as a young girl in Tottenham and wanting to understand what the Olympics mean. And he was the, what Olympics meant to me growing up. Um, also, I would say my, one of my old time favorites would be Dan Stanley, um, um, Don Stanley and WNBA coach, um, WNBA player, college coach, who in her career, you know, she didn't always achieve the highest fins, but as a coach and seeing the work she's doing with the young athletes coming up just inspires me, um, especially in this era of really trying to push, you know, the agenda of women's sports, but also raising the profile of some of these incredible women that we have in sports. And I think her voice is what we need in this space right now. So those two are my inspiration. What is your favorite event? Easy one. Uh, see, it's hard for me. Um, basketball, football. <laughs> um, I would go for, I'd go for football because from where I come from, football is a religion. Africa. But what, football, what in football? Oh, what in football? I just love what, what event? No, in football. Yeah. In what World Cup, Champions League, uh, Premier League. Oh, 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 it's not Champions League, Premier League. <laughs> Premier League, sorry, let me understand. Premier League, it's, it's a religion. If you come from Ghana or come from Africa, you understand that when football is on, nobody speaks. Um, if you support a team, you support them till you die. Um, and nothing comes before football. Um, so for me, I just love it. I just love the culture around, around football, especially when I'm back home in Ghana, where it feels like the world stops when a football game is on. Um, I love Premier League, but also let's talk about the World Cup because Every time we qualify, I know we're not going to win the World Cup as Ghanaians, but we just love <laughs> the fact that we get the opportunity to be there. Um, so, yes, for me, I know people would think that would be basketball because I love basketball, but no, it has to be um, football because it's a religion for us. Your favorite sport piece of content can be a series, can be a documentary, can be a movie. Right now, I would say the Redeem team. Um, because it's just amazing to watch. Um, another one to throw in there, I would say The Last Dance by Michael Michael Jordan, um, because it's the culture in which I've grown up in. It's a culture I understand deeply, but it gives us the insight that as the ordinary person, we don't get to see um, from the athlete's angle. Um, the Redeem team for me teaches about us about teamwork. It teaches about falling below, you know, below terrible. And then how you build back up by having one person impacting everybody within that whole team, which is um, Kobe Bryant. Um, so that whole story, the whole narrative, the whole teaching of sports through that documentary is very impactful for me. So I would say Redeem Team first and then Last Dance second. Yeah. What is your favorite word? Word. Education. 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 Education, simply because to evolve is to be educated um, and to be in any space is not to be the loudest voice in the room, but the one that listens and learns. 
Um, so for me, education is, is, a, is my favorite word. One great advice you have received you would love to share. I think the best advice I ever received um, after joining, especially joining the IUC, was be a sponge. Mm. Learn, learn. Learn, yeah. Curious, because, um, curious, curious. Yeah, because Mark, Mark Parkman, who has now my, my, fav my favorite CEO who has now left, uh, would always watch me sit there quietly just listening. And it's like, I, I love the way you're a sponge. You're, you're always attentive. Um, so always be a sponge. Um, another one of my favorite one is my chief um, editor-in-chief, um, editor Mary Bryan. She has it on her wall. When you walk into her office, it says, don't get sucked into the Olympic, don't get sucked into the Olympic bubble, um, which means uh, this is great, but always make sure you pay attention to what's happening in the real world. Because in the real world, it's not the same as being in a bubble. Um, those those two are my favorite favorite advice I've ever received. If you had one more hour every day, what would you do? Because you're very busy. So how would you use it? I would sleep. I would sleep because I work some long hours. <laughs> and an extra hour would be very, 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 I'd be very grateful for it. I'd, I would sleep, I'd have a cup of tea because I love having a cup of tea. Um, and just relax. Um, yeah, sleep is always needed. <laughs> I would say, if I may, the sleep of the warrior, because I, I've read that, that some people call you the, the, the lonely African warrior. Yeah, yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> Yeah, man. One app, one extra hour. Do you know how big that is? <laughs> that is huge for me. Um, no, I would, I would, I would be stretching my toes with a cup of tea in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Fair enough. Uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you completed your mission. I'm on a mission. Um, if when I get there, I want him to look at me and smile and say, you did it. You went, you learned, you returned, you built the infrastructure, you gave opportunities for many African boys and girls across the continent opportunity to, to do something that they didn't think they could do. Um, well done. That's what I want to hear. So that makes me wish to speak in a couple of years and a few years again with UNC. Where you up to? You've been always surprising in your journey and always growing up, always moving up. Uh, so, so I believe you're on the on the right track. <laughs> Wish me luck. Wish me luck. I've got a long way to go. <laughs> Wish me luck. But no, Africa is the uh, you know helping build the infrastructure for sports in Africa is a big thing for me. Um, so I am excited for when I think about it. I get really excited because sometimes I feel like. Within our sports industry, you some people get it. When you talk about Africa, they get it straight away. You know, I always say, why do you think FIFA is there? Why do you think NBA is there? They're not there because they're bored. They're there because there's something there. And if you're not, you're late. Um, so I'm look, I'm excited for that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you for being so contagious when it comes to your energy and your wish to make a positive impact. I know. No, I understand why so many people um, 
follow you follow your steps in some ways uh and so again all the best for all your endeavors um yeah your nice mission <laughs> great mission yeah. and we'll speak very soon of course thank you so much and thank you for your kind words as well oh, that was natural <laughs> thank you all for listening to a new sis masters podcast we'd love you to subscribe please leave a review or rate the podcast it will help us improve we'd love to see you in the next episode enjoy enjoy